0: Hey guys, welcome to The Covenant Courses Podcast. My name's Weston Brown, and this is week two. Of our course called Logos Foundations of Effective Bible Study. And this week, Taylor and I are going to be exploring some popular misconceptions about the Bible, what it is, what it isn't, and we think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. So, as always, you can do more than just listen to the podcast. You can also download the syllabus for this course in the show notes. And uh, if you want, you can engage with some additional reading or study. So either way, we hope that this is super helpful to you as you interact with the Word of God in your daily life. All right, without further ado, let's get into this week's conversation.
1: Last week, we talked a little bit about uh, my introduction with the Bible. You asked me a little bit about how how I was presented with the Bible, what I how I used it, or what I did with it, what I knew about it growing up, and the the phrase that I I didn't use the phrase at the time, but I think the best phrase is catchphrase Christianity. Right? Is that yeah. maybe I said that, or maybe you did? But so that's kind of that was my first first introduction to the Bible, and really the way that I use it for probably the better part of 15 years but I did not get the chance to ask you if you had some of that same thing going on if that was purely kind of a an early 90s millennial thing or if that's been around a little bit longer
0: yeah that's a really good question i'm i'm not sure i mean i know i know what you're talking about and i've certainly i've certainly encountered people over the years who have like an uncanny ability to memorize scripture and have devoted a lot of their time and effort to that and as a result no matter what's going on they can pull out a verse seemingly out of thin air and at least for me personally uh like I can memorize things decently but one of the things that really does give me a hard time is like chapter and verse like remembering like specific numbers like I am I am fascinated by people who can go. Oh well, that's Galatians five twenty five, or yeah. you know, or whatever. Can just pull out not only the verse itself, but the actual like number, a chapter verse number, um, because that is that's just not how my brain works. I don't think. Like even right. with like travel, like when we're traveling, like remembering like highway numbers and stuff is really difficult for me. Um, and and I do think on some level like that was emphasized when I was younger that like that idea of memorizing scripture. Um, and you know, I grew up in the age and I, I I guess this still happens in some churches, but I grew up in the age where people did like Bible drill and stuff like that. Oh yeah. You know, and, uh, that was largely about, you know, being able to locate things in scripture as quickly as possible um, which I guess lends itself to some extent to treat the Bible like a, a manual for life or an answer book. Like no matter what's happening, I can quickly find yeah. the right response or something to that end. The other thing that, that comes up for me is the Bible very much seemed uh, like this kind of otherworldly type thing to me, like that that these biblical figures were really like characters who sort of inhabited an alternate universe. Um, So on some level, as a kid, it was almost like reading The Lord of the Rings or The Chronicles of Narnia to me or something like that. Like these, I I don't know early on, I don't know that I really, really like that it had been imparted to me that these were actual real people. Mm -hmm. So much as maybe these were sort of literary characters that we can learn things from. Sure. Um, and I don't know if any of that was ever sort of explicitly stated, but, you know, growing up in church and growing up going to Sunday school, it's like we're we're studying the parts of the Bible, or, and study's not even the right word, really. It's like we have weekly Bible lessons, you know, uh, on sort of the mo- like kind of the high points of the Bible, I guess. So it's like, yeah, we're going to talk about Jonah and the whale, right? But we're not really going to talk about the book of Jonah. Um, it's it's really going to be more the story of a guy who gets swallowed by a fish and who seemingly repents in the belly of the fish and gets spit back up. Yeah. Um, which is not, uh, not at the all whole the story of the book of Jonah. Um, I'm not sure it's even the point of the book of Jonah. <laughs> but it is sort of a... You know, it is, um, to some extent, a supernatural event. And so, you know, there's there's a highlight on it. Or the story of Samson. You know, it's it's like these people just didn't seem real. Because I don't know anybody who's been swallowed by a fish or anybody who's, you know, strong enough to push down the columns of a building. Sure. Um, and then on top of that, you add in, um, with the Old Testament figures early on, the fact that these people were living for hundreds and hundreds of years, supposedly. Yeah. And so for a kid, that's just kind of confusing, I think. And I don't know that I believed um, – I don't, I don't really know what I believed about it as a kid. I, I think I um, I think I thought it was good. I, th- I think it was intriguing to me and fascinating to me. Um, even this week uh, or the last week or so, we've, we've been reading through the Book of Acts for quite a while with our kids in the mornings. But we're finally to the end of the Book of Acts where Paul is shipwrecked on the island of Malta. Right. And um, even though I've read Axe a number of times, I've just been struck anew by the fact that it, this just reads like an adventure novel, yeah. especially as you get to the end of Axe. And our kids have picked up on that as well and have really enjoyed it. And so I don't know that that's a bad thing for you to engage with it in that way. I think you engage with it at the level that you're able to. And, and then as you grow, you, um, you know you kind of figure it out from there. But I mean, my, my interaction with scripture was very much at church. Like it was, um, I, and I think I, I was blessed to grow up in a church that had a strong emphasis on, you know, knowing the contents of the Bible. Mm-hmm. I don't know that any of that stuff was ever really presented to me in sort of a doctrinal way right? where it I, I knew stories, but I didn't really know what those stories meant for my life. Sure. Um, Outside of Jesus Himself, right? Like outside of the fact that Jesus died so that I could go to heaven one day when I died. Like that was my understanding of the gospel as a kid, Um, rather than going to hell. Like okay, I understand what impact that has on me, but what impact does Jonah or you know or Amos or you know Samson or David? What impact does that have on me? I don't know. Well, it's funny that you say that because.
1: In a way, we kind of arrived at similar points then through these separate upbringings, because with your coffee cup Christianity, right. you can get to a lot of those same endpoints. You can get to the gospel being heaven instead of hell, right? I need that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can get uh, to a lot of the Old Testament stories kind of being boiled down to their supernatural points, and that's it. You can get a lot of the characters and some of your highlights, but what you're still missing is the point of a lot of it. So yeah. Two different ways of approaching it, but really it sounds like some similar endpoints, w- which maybe weren't the most helpful, and and certainly give you a broad view of the contents. But again, I think, and what we're getting into here, the the message and the point behind some of it may have been lost on, sounds like, both of us growing up.
0: Yeah, and as we said last week, you know, the, the point of the Bible, if, if we were to boil it down, is the Bible is the story of God's revelation of himself, to humanity, and ultimately, what he's doing to redeem creation through Christ—like it is that, like that—is the the central meta narrative, overarching narrative of the Scripture, and um, and so it can be easy to get boiled down in certain um, you know back alleys of the Bible and and miss the larger picture of what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. And and I'll you know one thing that's become a little more common in the last decade or so, if not a little longer, has been uh, this idea of reading the Bible through in a year. Right. Um, and I know that's something you've done. But what's so fascinating about that is is you can have you have people who've grown up in the church, and who have been exposed to the Bible on at least a weekly basis for most of their lives, who sit down and read the Bible from cover to cover, so to speak, and are. Um, are really caught off guard by how much of it they've never heard before, oh, yeah. how much of it they've never seen before. And that can be, uh, I found, either an inspiring thing for people or it can be sort of an earth-shattering thing for people. I yeah. think people can either feel like, oh, man, there's, there's just like depths of wealth here that I haven't you know plumbed, or you can feel like I've been lied to and things have been kept from me.
1: Hmm. Yeah.
0: And so it's always interesting to me to kind of see people try to do a quick read of the whole Bible and how like how they respond to it, what they come away with is is fascinating. And you know, what we're getting into today is we're going to talk a little bit about what the Bible is not and and sort of hit some bullet points. And then we're going to talk about what the Bible is and primarily what we're trying to do in this episode is dispel some misconceptions about the scripture and and you'll recognize some of these things um, because they're pretty common. And, you know, ideally we all come away with a, like, as people, as we've said, who are more fully formed as disciples of Christ and who are able not just to study the Bible better or more intelligently, but we're able to like take these things and apply them to our lives and go about the mission that Jesus has sent us on, which is this mission of making disciples. So uh, Taylor, let's just jump in and we'll start working our way through some of these um, and we have several of these. So let's yeah. start with what the Bible is not,
1: yeah, yeah. so you mentioned the you mentioned our um our kind of one liner on the Bible again, but I think just for clarity, one more time. it's the story. It's primarily the story of God, his revelation of himself to humanity, and his grand plan of restoration. So with that in mind, the first our first point, uh, our first, Our first, I guess, um, bullet point on what the Bible is not is a rule book. It's not a rule book. And this can be tricky for people because the Bible includes
0: rules. In fact, the whole first segment of it is called the law. And that's one of the most confusing things for people, I think, uh, is I, I started reading the Bible, and I've made my way through the first three or four books, and I'm inundated with all of these rules and and many of them I didn't know existed. Like I've heard of like the Ten Commandments, right? right. But then what then, do you do
1: with the next three hundred?
0: That's right. Yeah, there's there's so many. Um, when God gives His law to Moses in the first five books of the Bible, and so that that can be really challenging for people, I think, because the big question is, well, wait a second, am I supposed to still be living? under these rules today, because I'm doing some of these things, right? I'm doing 10 commandment type stuff. I'm not killing people. I'm hopefully not stealing things or lying or committing adultery. Um, But what about, uh, you know, like wearing garments made out of two different kinds of fabric? Yeah. Right. What about sowing your, your, your fields with two types of seed? Have you done that last week? (laughs) Not recently. Well, there you go. Yeah. Um, And it might be helpful to hear like just at the beginning to also point out that when we talk about the Bible, the Bible itself is is not a book; it's really a co- right. collection of books. Um, it's it's not just one like sort of literary artifact that came out of nowhere. It is um, this omnibus that has been assembled over a significant period of time. And and we'll talk more in in future episodes uh, more about how that process happened and how long that actually took and how did the writing of the Bible actually take place. But, But just as a baseline, it's helpful for us to remember it's a collection of books. It's not just one book. That said, that collection of 66 books weaves together in this incredible, and I would say supernatural way. Yeah, um, to tell the story of God and his revelation of himself to humanity and his grand plan of restoration That's right, through Christ.
1: And so as we pick through this, uh, we've mentioned some of the laws that show up in the first part of the Old Testament especially, but there also seem to be rules that are present in the New Testament. There seem to be rules coming from Jesus, rules coming from Paul and his epistles. So if we're saying the Bible is not a rule book... I guess one starting point might be picking our way through these things. Yeah. What do we think about the rules in the Old Testament? What do we think about the rules, or at least seemingly rules, in the New Testament? And then as we hold those two uh, in contention, what is the Bible if it's not a rule book?
0: Well, it's it's not sufficient to say the Bible is a is a rule book, as if that's all it is, because... Ultimately, the sections of Scripture that we would call rule sections are sections that, you know, ultimately take up a fairly small amount of space in the grand scheme of Scripture. So it's not as if it's nothing but a book of rules from cover to cover. Um, That said, it certainly um, gives us wisdom and advice on moral living. It gives us wisdom and advice on how to live with other people and love other people, and how to love God, and how to seek to please God with our lives. Um, so we certainly learn how to live in the pages of Scripture, and how we, how we should live in light of what God has done for us through Christ, um, but it diminishes the Bible, the books of the Bible, to say,
1: oh, it's just simply a rule book. Sure, because if I go into it with that attitude, if I'm expecting to open up this book and find rules that will apply to every you know situation in life yeah um, what are you doing with genre at that point? what are you doing about the differences between poetry and law yeah. and narrative uh, and wisdom yeah what are you what are you doing with those things if not missing the
0: point on yeah. several of them entirely? Yeah, because since the Bible is a collection of books, it's also a collection of literary genres and so we find all kinds of literary genres in the pages of Scripture. We find historical narrative, we find poetry, um, we find things like parable. Um, So, I mean, there's just, there's a wealth of different kinds of literature in the pages of Scripture.
1: So what we're saying with this point is not necessarily, let's sit here for the next, oh gosh, 10 hours and work through the 613 laws of the Old Testament and the rules in the New Testament. What we're saying is, Primarily, we're not approaching the Bible as though it is a book of rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. it's not going to be this bullet point list of things that you do or don't do in order to have a righteous life or in yeah. order to live in God's presence.
0: Yeah, and I think that's sort of the thread with all of these bullet points: is is there's an element of what we're saying that is true. There are rules in the Bible, but then there's there's an element in which it's insufficient to to simply call it that. Right. Um. So so the next point would be for us that the Bible is not simply an instruction manual for life, right? The Bible, I think you used the term tech manual last last week. The Bible isn't a tech manual where no matter what's going wrong or what's happening, I can turn to the right page and I can get the answer and and then follow it. Um, Again, certainly the Bible gives us advice, as we said, on moral living and how to live in um, a way that – mirrors or models the way of Christ uh, to live justly or with righteousness to put sin to death I mean all these kinds of things we find in the pages of scripture but that's not all it is there's a uh, I was teaching a class years ago on the Bible and there was a guy in the class who, um, who thought that the word Bible was an acrostic that meant basic instructions before leaving earth I love it <laughs> and, and I was caught off guard because I thought he was kidding at first. Well, it makes like, a couple of bold assumptions, right? Like that the that you know, uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, when these books were assembled, that those guys said we need an English acrostic <laughs> to describe what these books are, and there are basic instructions before leaving Earth. Oh, um, well, and th- there there are a number of things that are wrong with saying that that's what the Bible is. Also. Um, again, it's not an instruction manual for life. And, and then ultimately, if you've read to the end, ultimately, we're not we're all not leaving, leaving Earth. earth. <laughs> there's going to be a new heavens and a new Earth, yeah. and um, everything will be made new. And so, um, so yeah, again, there's there's a piece of truth in that, but it's not the whole story.
1: Yeah, and the part that I like about this is um, when you treat it as an instruction manual or a tech manual, one of the ways that I've seen this used is the book of Proverbs, if you would just live the yeah. life that you see in Proverbs, right. right, you'll you'll have this life full of wisdom. Well, for one thing, there are some proverbs that may seemingly compete with each other if you are not taking yeah. uh, if you are not taking the cultural context into account. And another thing is, you have the rest of the wisdom books that kind of round out Proverbs in a way that say, "Yeah, but God's not this genie in a bottle or a formula that right. if you figure out
0: nothing will go wrong in your life." Well, I had a seminary professor point out once. And this was real helpful to me at the time. That you know, we get the word proverbial from the word proverb, meaning these things are true some of the time, right? Or maybe even most of the time, but not necessarily one hundred percent of the time. They are, yeah. they are proverbially true, um, and so yeah, it's 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 a great example. The only reason I love that. pointing that out is because.
1: It can be damaging to people who really latch onto this kind of thing. I know one of them um one of the most potentially damaging ones, right is train up a child in the way they should go. yeah, and when they're older they won't depart from it. Well, if right. you've got a wayward child, yes, that puts a lot that puts a lot of shame mm-hmm. on you despite yeah. your best efforts
0: in parenting and that can be really damaging right and and you know we'll get we'll get into in later episodes just the concept of how we interpret the Bible. But even with a verse like that, I I think we we interpret that meaning if I've been a perfect parent, then my child will never walk away from the Lord or right. deviate from the way of Christ. And one of the things I always point out is the last part of that verse that says, when he is old, he will not depart from it. Yeah, That doesn't mean that your child will never have a season of rebellion um, or will never make poor choices or bad decisions, sure. even, even if you've been a godly parent. Um, and so, uh, and, and the Lord plays a role in all of that as well. It's not all on your shoulders. Yeah, that's right. right? So, um, that's good. Uh, the next thing on our list is that the Bible is not a book that was once lost and then rediscovered. Yeah. Talk
1: me through the ramifications behind this one.
0: So, you know, one of the things this makes me think of is, uh, the book of Mormon. Mm -hmm. Um, So the book of Mormon is, is not a book that we would consider to be Holy scripture, um, it was supposedly discovered in what, the 1800s? Right, Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith, um, who, you know, supposedly discovered these golden tablets, right, that had either fallen from heaven or had been given to him by God. Nobody else ever saw these, um, and yet he swore up and down. He had, he had found these golden tablets that that's had right. given him the Book of Mormon. Um, that's not at all what the Bible is. The Bible is not um, something that was dug up. Uh, it's not something that was discovered in like an archaeological find. The Bible is something that really from the time that all of these individual books were written, they have been in existence. Like there's there's really never been any point in human history where it's been like, hmm, I wonder what happened to the book of Ephesians. Yeah. Right? It's like from the time that it was written, people have had it. Mm-hmm. Um and everybody hasn't had it, right? But but it's never been lost. Um, and so I think that's important. It's, it's not something that fell from heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that God wrote through human beings. Yeah. And one of the incredible things about Scripture is that it bears both the marks of God's authorship and also the marks of human authorship as well. Um, and so later as we get into um, how we establish context... That's going to be really important, is establishing context based on who the human author is and what their characteristics are and what genre they're writing in. Um, But, uh, you know, uh, one thing that people ask about sometimes is something called the Dead Sea Scrolls. That's right. The Dead Sea Scrolls are a collection of biblical texts that were discovered in a cave in the late 1940s. But these were not new documents, right that we didn't already have. This didn't fill out the rest of the Bible and, and fill in gaps we didn't have. That's right. Um, this was not this was a major discovery and has contributed um, significantly to the field of biblical scholarship. But it wasn't like suddenly we discovered the book of Judges, yeah. you know. Um, so I think that's important. And I'm
1: sure we'll get into this as we get further onto some of these points in later episodes, probably, but something like the Dead Sea Scrolls adds validity, right? And the number of, the sheer number of manuscripts that is discovered, Mm -hmm. that, that's kind of the, the main takeaway from something like that.
0: Sure. We will get into, um, what's called textual criticism, which is how, um, you know, a big question people have is how do we know that... Our English Bibles are the same as what somebody would have been reading in the third century. Right. And the answer to that question is something called textual criticism, where we take the ancient documents that we have, and by we, I mean scholars in this field, not you and I. We Uh, could. (laughs) I would not recommend it. (laughs) Um, but we take these documents that are still in existence today and um, which, are, which are significant. like there, there's a, an enormous number of um, biblical manuscripts in existence today, um, especially compared to other ancient documents. Like there are way more copies of the Bible than a lot right. of other things. We'll look at some of those later. Um, but yeah, it's um, something like the Dead Sea Scrolls gives us yet another, Ancient copy that we can look at and see. Oh no, this is actually the same yeah. as it's always been, and that's really helpful. Uh, the next one is that the Bible's not written in code. Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> this is my favorite. This is maybe my favorite too. Um, people probably don't remember, but in the late '90s, when you know everybody was fearful about Y2K, there were a number of apocalyptic Christian. Books that came out. There was the whole Left Behind series, which was one of the biggest selling Christian books ever.
1: That's basically the newer New Testament now.
0: (laughs) It is, unfortunately, for some people, even though it is uh, most decidedly a fiction book. (laughs) Um, But then there were these Bible code books that came out as well that purported to take the original text and the original languages and discover hidden codes that were in there. And I mean, there are now like multiple editions of these that have come out, some in even recent years as well. And they're so ridiculous. They're so ridiculous. Basically, um, if you if you find one of these, it looks like somebody has taken uh, the Hebrew text, and and then they've drawn essentially like word search circles mm-hmm. around different letters and words. And then supposedly have found hidden meanings. and and interestingly, most of these hidden meanings that they found relate primarily to our current time period, yeah. you know, which yeah. is and our country is very convenient. Yes. um, I actually found one of these at the used bookstore recently, and I was just flipping through it. and you know, apparently the the name Obama had been found in code in uh, the Bible code book and a Lincoln had been found, (laughs) you know, it's just ridiculousness. And so the, the reason
1: it's, it can be easy to laugh at some of this, but the reason it's important to note this as one of our main points as this is what the Bible is not, right? It's not written in code. This is important because if that were the case, if the Bible is written in code, folks like you and I not only can we not get the, the deepest meaning behind the text, but we really can't even approach it, yeah. not to mention the original audiences of these books, of these authors, Yes. That would have had no context for what was going on other than, I guess, the surface level, yeah. which – and I'm not sure – I'm not nearly as familiar with these code books – as you are, but I don't know if they make the claim that there is a surface truth, but then the real, yeah. the real goodies are down below it's, the code. It's
0: presented in sort of like a Nostradamus type way, okay. where where there are these sort of like ancient prophecies that yeah. are encoded in the. T- I mean, it's very like national treasure, you know, sure in in nature, and 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 people eat that stuff up. They love it, yeah. you know, and I and I get it. I get why that's kind of intriguing. Um, but but realize that when you buy into something like that, you're essentially making the claim that God has gone to great lengths to give us his word, and yet most of us are incapable of understanding what it has to say, yeah. that only the most intelligent people could understand it or the most uh, educated people could understand it. And I just don't think that's true. I don't think that is what it claims to be. Um, if, if we're engaging this in... In sort of the way that it presents itself, right? In the same way you do with any other book. Like if I pick up a fiction book or a nonfiction book, I'm going to engage it as a fiction book or a nonfiction mm-hmm. book. I'm going to engage the Bible in the way that it, in the way that it, you know, um, presents itself. Yeah. Um, and, and something helpful there might be
1: Paul's words that right that that God has shown that earthly wisdom is is actually foolishness. Yeah. Yeah. And so any attempts that we might have at trying to find something like a code in the Bible one that would just rip it out of the hands of the layperson entirely yeah. we would have no we'd have no basis for I don't need a Bible because right. the guy right. with the code machine needs it and and two that would kind of refute some of the claims that the Bible itself makes
0: yeah and this happens in a variety of ways I mean every couple years there is some sort of significant figure who makes claims that they've discovered you know the the date that the world is going to end right which um, which always makes me laugh because the Bible says no one knows right? right So it's like you can't claim both things at the same time. you can't claim to say you can't claim that the scripture is true when the scripture says no one except God himself knows the day and time, but yet somehow you've figured out the day and time yeah. like it's just laughable. Um, and that's sort of what's happening to some extent with this kind of stuff. so it's not it's not just to poke, uh, fun at the Bible code books it's to kind of illuminate that whole way of engaging with the scripture as if there is something secret here that I need to unearth um, I we just don't think that's what it is yeah yeah
1: what's next sure so our last one that we have here the Bible is not and this one may be surprising to some folks it's not a book of religion
0: yeah yeah so what do we mean by this so for me this basically means something similar to what what we meant when we said the Bible's not a rule book, or the Bible's, you know, not just an instruction manual for life, um, a book of religion would be a book that guides, like formal religious practice. Mm-hmm. So um, a, a great example of this would be something like the Book of Common Prayer. The Book of Common Prayer is a book of religion in that it contains liturgies, it contains prayers, it contains, um, you know, formal. Guides to conducting the worship of God. Um, again, we find some of those things in the pages of scripture, but it's not uh, adequate to say that that's what it is from cover to cover. And um, I think in all of this, one of the points we want to make is that the Bible doesn't give us all the answers either. It's not an answer book. Like, we can't find an answer to any question you could possibly ask in the pages of Scripture. There are some parts of the Bible that are really um, easy to understand and very clear. And then there's some things that are obtuse to us Mm -hmm. or hard to understand. Um, I've got this great quote here. Uh, There was an English bishop and... Theologian named Leslie Newbigin, um, who uh, lived in India for a number of years as sort of a missionary bishop there, and he's he's written a great deal on just the field of missiology and missions in general, um, and I would really encourage you to check him out if you've never heard of him before, Leslie Newbigin. But there's this great quote from one of his books where he was speaking to an Indian holy man. And in India, you know, like they've got all kinds of books of religion, right? They've got what the Vedas and the Bhagavad Gita, like there's all of these different things. And he's speaking to this Indian holy man named Badranath. And Badranath said to him, I can't understand why you missionaries present the Bible to us in India as a book of religion it is not a book of religion. And anyway, we have plenty of books of religion in India. We don't need any more. I find in your Bible, a unique interpretation of universal history, the history of the whole of creation and the history of the human race, and therefore a unique interpretation of the human person as a responsible actor in history. That is unique. There is nothing else in the whole religious literature of the world to put alongside it. That's fascinating to me um, because, you know, admittedly, I haven't greatly delved into religious documents from other religions. Right. And so it is fascinating to hear from somebody who has done that on some level, who really goes, no, 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 the Bible is something unique and completely different from anything else that's out there. so those are things that the Bible is not it's not just a real book, not just an instruction manual for life, it's not a book that was once lost and then rediscovered, it's not written in code, it's not a book of religion, um, let's talk about what the Bible is and the place I want to start here is is with this idea that the Bible is a book that demands faith um, we were talking about this point before we started recording and I think this is maybe challenging for some people but the Bible is not a book that is filled with like empirical data, Mm -hmm. right? It's not like a, as we said, a tech manual or like a scientific document per se. And that gives people a lot of issues um, because what we often want to do is we want to take our modern time and read it into the pages of the Bible, um, or take things we we know about in today's world scientifically and then try to read that into this ancient document. And sort of a great example of this, or and even a comical example of this, is people who read the book of Genesis and go, well, where are the dinosaurs? Yeah. Right? And the the reality is, is that for the writers of Scripture they wouldn't have even understood what you were talking about, right? Yeah. Like they they didn't even know what that was. Yeah. Um and so we we take things like that or uh, you know, was this a literal 6-day creation? Did this happen over a larger period of time? And we we want to like at, po- try to poke holes in it or ask questions about it. And the reality is is that at the end of the day, if you come to the belief that the Bible is the word of God or that the Bible is an authoritative document, um, that you should live by, you you are arriving at those c- conclusions based on some level of evidence and information from the pages of scripture, but also based on a certain level of faith. Yeah. Because if you if you believe this is the word of God and that these things are true and that my life should be patterned after what I find in these pages, then what you're inadvertently saying is, is I believe things that are supernatural in nature. I believe things that are um, you know, human in nature and earthly in nature, but but there's also another level at play here. And that makes sense, right? Because if God is God, if God really is the creator of all things, if he really did speak creation into existence and make human beings out of dirt, yeah, then why would we think we wouldn't find a multitude of supernatural things Sure, in his word to us?
1: Sure. As soon as we've gotten to the point where we know all the answers... You've either become God or you're not asking all the right, right. questions. Yeah. On the on the topic of um on on the topic of dinosaurs. <laughs> this is great. So well, I just think it's important to note this, and maybe it's not, but I want to note it. Uh George Washington would not have known that dinosaurs existed. Yeah. George Washington died in seventeen ninety nine. We discovered dinosaurs in eighteen fifty eight. Wow. And so it's it's one thing to think like, you know, the authors of the Bible didn't include dinosaurs, these were not unintelligent people. Mm. These were not like a backwater backwards. Th- these are these are intelligent people. These are incredibly complex literary, literary books that we're reading. And it's just that they don't stand on the years of scientific knowledge that we might have now. And so something, I just think something like dinosaurs is kind of a silly thing to point to, but... Right. It's it's not that they weren't there or that the Bible's not accounting for them.
0: It's just not the point. That's right. It's not the point that the authors are trying to make. And the reality again is that you would not do this with any other book, Mm-mm. right? You wouldn't you wouldn't treat any other book in this way. You wouldn't read any other book in this way. But for some reason with the Bible, because uh, you know, understandably, many of us come to it with a certain level of skepticism. Um, it's natural that we would ask some of those questions. And um, and so, yeah, it's a book that demands your faith. You right. know, it's, it's. I think, first and foremost, a question of do you believe in the overarching story of Scripture, that this is God's self-revelation, that ultimately he is restoring all things through Christ? And if we want to be a part of that restoration, faith in Christ is essential, right? That's sort of the baseline of belief here. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it goes hand in hand with do I believe this book is true? Right. Because... I learned about all those things from this book, ultimately, even yeah. if I heard them from someone else, where did they hear them? Where did they get them? You know, trace it back. It all comes back to the Bible. So I, I think that's an important point to make. Uh, secondly, what the Bible is, the Bible is a divine book. Mm-hmm. Now we said the Bible didn't fall from heaven. It wasn't unearthed magically, but at the same time, we do see God as the primary author. Of yeah. Scripture,
1: man. It's so hard for me to look at this one and not take both of these points together. That it is yep. a divine book and a human book. Right. Point three. Uh, it's yeah. It's it's hard. It's hard to separate these two, because it's really hard to separate them in the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. It is absolutely both of these things, and I guess this is this is maybe where we get to um, kind of our. Our points on what inspiration is,
0: yeah, which is a big a big topic. I sure, think. I don't know if we have time to really delve into all of that today. No, um, but but needless to say, we believe that God inspired human authors to write what is in the pages of Scripture, and that it wasn't a situation where um, these men went into like a a trance yeah um, or were turned into robots or art- automatons that just wrote down what God put into their brains. but rather that somehow, in a sort of, again, this demands faith in a sort of mystical supernatural way, God is able to communicate exactly what he wants to communicate through human authors. Who are also inputting their own unique voice mm-hmm. and style into what's on the page, yeah. Um, and there's just nothing else in our world that really, you know, um, in any way compares to that. Where we can kind of go, oh, it's kind of like this. Yeah, I, I don't know what that would be.
1: No, I, I don't think there is an example. And I think in looking at these two points, and <clears throat> looking at these two points, it is a divine book and a human book. You're you're really also refuting two stances. One of yeah. which is the Bible is only a divine book, meaning it has none of the fingerprints of humanity on it, um, which would mean that it's kind of separated yeah. from humans in a sense. That there's yeah. there's just no that it's it's not organically connected with us with our with the history of humanity with the history of maybe Israel as a people. There's just nothing that connects God's word with the human authors, mm-hmm. especially if you're under the, under the impression that it's kind of a golden tablet falling from heaven. Right. And the other side of that is it's not just a human book, because obviously yeah. once we get into that territory, what do you listen to and what do you toss out the window?
0: Well, and that's, that's, that's really challenging, right? Because, uh, you know, one of the things that the Bible teaches us is that human beings are all flawed and sinful, Like, so, so just by our very nature and and it's everyone, it's not certain people, it's everyone, everybody is sinful and flawed. And, and yet somehow this book isn't right. Right. So if it is purely a human book, then, then we should assume that there are potential errors in it. But since it is both a human and divine book, and I would say a divine book above being a human book, um, because God is the ultimate author of all of this. It doesn't happen without him. Because of that, somehow it is exactly as he would have it be. And we'll talk in future episodes about some of these kind of buzzwords that yeah. get applied to this, words like inerrancy and infallibility, which you've maybe heard before, and we'll unpack what those mean. Um, but at the end of the day, I think a great way to understand this is that the Bible is exactly as God would have it be, and um, and that's that's critical. Um, and, and, you know, just real quick... Just so we're clear, if we say the Bible is inerrant, what we mean is that it is without error or fault, that there's um, there's nothing in it, even if you perceive there to be errors or faults. Um, th- the person that is wrong in the equation is you and not God. That's right. And then the word infallible means not only is it free from error, but it's incapable of erring. It's incapable of having error because of who the author of it is. Um, So again, we'll dig more into that stuff.
1: Yeah, we'll have to unpack that. What's next, Taylor? Um, The next point that we have is the Bible is for you, but not about you. Uh, This is an important one because if you're the protagonist of the story in the Bible, boy, does that place a lot of importance on you, and boy, (laughs) does it strip it from God.
0: Yeah, man, this is so challenging for people, I think. And and I I would add myself into this, because what we want to do is we want to read a passage of Scripture and then immediately jump to what does this mean for me or about me? Mm -hmm. And uh, 99.9% of the time, it doesn't have anything to do with you personally, even though there are things you can glean from it. Like it is not written to you or about you, even though it's for you. Even though it's for you. Yes. One of my favorite quotes from... um,
1: a professor i had in hermeneutics a couple semesters back was when he's in a bible study and he said if he's in a particularly crabby mood and they'll read a text and someone will ask what does this mean to you to yes. the audience he'll always respond with i don't care what it means to you <laughs> but i think there's i mean this is kind of what we're this is kind of what we're getting at here it's this text is for us but there are some steps that need to be taken between reading the text and me immediately going to do something in my life with that. There That's is right. there is yeah. Bible and we'll talk about what Bible study is and what application looks like. But but yeah, it's not this yeah. is not the the copy of the Bible that I have is not Taylor's
0: personal copy that yeah. you know. Yeah, and and the thing we have to be careful with is to not read ourselves into the pages of scripture or read ourselves into the stories of scripture. And sort of a classic example of this um, and a way that scripture sometimes gets misused in preaching is like with the story of David and Goliath, as if the point of that story is that God wants to empower you to be uh, a metaphorical giant slayer. Yeah. Right. Um, that's not the point of that story. That's not the way we should interpret that story. That's not the takeaway from that story. And so, if you if you turn everything into an allegory, you're going to wind up in some weird places. And so we have to be really careful about that. And so the step you're talking about that we can't miss is the step of interpretation. Right? Sure. We have to read it, but then we have to interpret it. And an old adage is that there is one interpretation, but many applications, meaning the text only really means one thing, but that one thing can be applied potentially in a variety of ways in your life. And so um, we'll, we'll dig more into that in future episodes. This next one's fun. Yeah. The Bible is strange, disturbing, and confusing. Yeah. We're just, I think we're being intellectually dishonest yeah. if, if we say that it isn't. Sure. For anybody, you know, I was talking about people earlier who've like, for the first time, read the Bible cover to cover and maybe been dismayed or caught off guard by some of the things they've seen, um, it could be because they've grown up in an environment where the Bible was not, uh, where it wasn't sort of generally accepted that there is some really weird and gross and disturbing stuff in the pages of scripture.
1: yeah, you're right, especially with the um, you know have an answer for your faith generation yes, my, which I, I kind of grew up under that generation, but yeah, once you start reading the Bible and taking it seriously, you find a talking snake right, right. away. Right, you find the Nephilim, which. <laughs> <laughs> take your take your best pick as yeah, to what that yeah, is. Yeah. You find a worldwide flood. Yeah. You find the scattering of nations and the creation of languages seemingly out of nowhere.
0: Yeah, this is some weird stuff. Yeah, and and some things that are just uh, despicable. I mean, you find rape. Yeah. You, you find murder. Um, you find a lot of talk of foreskins, right? <laughs> <laughs> you find a lot of talk of bodily fluids. Um, I mean, there's, there's just stuff that is like, oh my goodness. And, um, again, like, I think it's important for us to realize that the Bible really covers the whole spectrum of human experience. Um, and, and there's not a lot in terms of human experience that you can't find on some level in the pages of scripture, wealth, poverty, um, true righteousness, horrible sin and depravity, I mean, the whole gamut um, yeah. is found there. And so if we communicate to people that the Bible is is nothing but a source for, like, warm fuzzies or it's it's not a book – like, it's a book that I can easily understand, um, if I just sit down and read it, that there aren't things that I would – you know, wouldn't find myself confused about, then I think we're doing people a disservice. Um, yeah. I think it's important for us to – illuminate the fact that there's, there's moments where you're going to go, what, what, wait a minute, you know, like, what, yeah. what just happened?
1: Right. And if we believe the Bible is this divine book, if we believe it's God's word, we're safe to ask these questions. That's right. We're That's safe right. to bring up the elephants in the room or the yeah. Nephilim in the room, ask the questions, <laughs> try to figure out yeah. what's going on here and do that in a community of other believers. Yes.
0: Yes. That's good. Uh, the final point is that the Bible is our source of knowledge about the Gospel of Jesus. Now, interestingly, uh, the Gospels—Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John—and then the writings of Paul and Luke in the New Testament and the other apostles; th- those are not the only historical source of information about Christ. There are also extra-biblical um, historical sources that point to the like the historical reality of Jesus mm-hmm. of Nazareth, mm-hmm. and. I don't think there are any like mainstream or significant scholars today that are really seriously trying to make a claim that Jesus never existed. Right. Um, I think I think it's beyond doubt that this person truly existed, and and one of the greatest pieces of evidence is the fact that two thousand plus years later we're sitting here talking about him. That's right. Um, there, I mean, there's no mythological figure that inspires this level of devotion this 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 long right. afterwards. Yeah, the historicity
1: is not up for debate. I I think what is is going to be the message that's within the Gospels, within the New Testament books that we find. And this kind of goes back to one of the things that we said the Bible is not, which is a good book or a moral guide, Right. right? Because there are claims being made, especially by Jesus, that his message, his gospel, his ministry is not just going to be a moral guide. Yeah, it, and this kind of loops back up to our, our first first point on what the Bible is it's going to demand
0: your faith yeah yeah for sure and and so the point here is that it's where we primarily learn the story of the gospel and the gospel is um, this beautiful and incredible message that Jesus Christ through his death and re- resurrection, has offered us a way to be reconciled to the Father for our sin not to separate us from God any longer, but that we can actually be made right before him in spite of the things that we've done. The the big fancy word is we can be justified Mm -hmm. before God. And there is no other way that that can happen. We can't be good enough or moral enough or kind enough or loving enough. We're incapable of it. Like We need him to empower us to place our faith in Christ, and ultimately, none of that would be possible outside of the story that we find in the New Testament, and it's the primary source for us. Like it's the primary document. Even though we learn about the historicity of Jesus um, in snippets in other places, this is this is where it all began, um, and so we have to look at it in that way. Yeah. So um, let's stop there for today. Um, we're going to continue pressing on next week, and we're going to start getting into more of how the Bible is constructed. As you know, there's, pro- there's an Old Testament, there's a New Testament, but as we've said, there are all of these different books. How were they put together? And how did we actually get this? How is it that now, all this time later, I, I have a Bible at my house? Yeah. Um, because that's actually a fairly new thing in the scheme of history. So uh, looking forward to getting into that with you, Taylor, next time, and um, we'll join you guys then. Yeah.